Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Why do Catholics worship statues? Man, if I had a nickel for every time I heard that question, I would have a, enough money to buy a big, beautiful statue of Mary to put in my front yard. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Absolutely. So I'm Deacon Jeff, and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. We're here in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, and uh, I'm here with Tom Dorian. Tom, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It is luxurious, isn't it? Absolutely. we got a big statue sitting in front of us. Because guess what our topic's about? I'm thinking maybe folks think that we worship statues. And we're going to dispel that particular myth. Huge myth. That's exactly right. We do not worship statues. And so, again, we've brought in our above-average Catholic. That's better, Deacon Jeff. Bill Drennan is here with us. And, uh, Bill, we're going we're gonna, to – I'm not going to throw you under the bus right off – the bat with a Thank question. You. Thank you. But do you worship statues? <laughs> no, I don't. We don't worship statues, Ever. do we? Never. Uh, so we need to figure out what it is about this concept of statues that, that people misunderstand and where it comes from. And we want to explain from a Catholic perspective what statues are, why we have statues, and why they're a good thing. They are um, a good thing. Right, exactly. So, But we do want to start and point out in no uncertain terms that... The fact that there are statues in our churches, which is a great, big, huge, obvious difference between uh, the Catholic Church and many, many, many other churches, especially the Protestant churches, which tend to be more barren when you go in. We've got lots of statues. It's a huge difference. But we, wanna, we want folks to understand that the Catholic Church in, in no way uh, asks us to worship statues ever. Uh, and, in fact, the Catholic Church shuns <coughs> forbids and condemns idolatry. Um, if we go to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it says in paragraph 2114, it says, idolatry is a perversion of man's innate religious sense. An idolater is someone who transfers his indestructible notion of God to anything other than God. How did well, that nasty rumor slash myth get started? Well, and this is not something new in the church. Okay. Now, understand that the church and what it teaches about statues... Is something that has always been around. Uh, some of the early graves of the early Christians have imagery of of the resurrection of Jesus, uh, you know, of God. There are paintings and pictures mm-hmm. from the first century. So that tells us way back when the early church that this became an acceptable practice. And there are many reasons for that. So what we want to do is we want to look back at the earliest times of the church and figure out why we had statues. Okay. So, first of all, let's figure out, you know, who are our subjects? Who's going to church? You know, who who shows up in the church? Who sits in the pews in the early church? Folks just like us, I'm sure. And above average Catholic Bill would probably be there. His great, 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 great grandfather, who was also above average Catholic, I'm sure. We would be there. But back then, there are going to be people that are probably illiterate. They can't read. They can't write. The vast majority of people could not. And so there were a lot of times when... When imagery was used to teach in the church, and one of those great images was the use of statues. Right. And the, those, that use of statues helped us to better see that person which we're talking about, who played some important role in, uh, in Jesus' mission and the growth of the church. The beautiful stained glass windows. 
mean, mm-hmm. that was a way in which the church taught the people that were there at church. You know, they'd show up. And they were like, well, I can't read anything, but look at that picture right. of Jesus on the cross. And they would get that image and understand what Jesus did for them. Now, look at uh, the, the, the biggest thing that Catholics get, uh, I guess, criticized for is probably the crucifix. Yep. The idea that there's a cross and there is a corpus, a body of Christ hanging on that crucifix. Now, Bill, do you ever hear that question? Do people ever talk about that? Do you know what what you would say in, in response to that? Um, I definitely hear it. And uh, what what I typically say is um, it, it's just, for me, it's a great remembrance that we're, you know, in the presence of, of Christ and that we're the body of Christ. So we're, we're, we're really all connected and together. And it just, for me, it really helps me, um, you know, sense that and, and feel that, uh, there, there's still sin very present, and he's there to, and he died there for for us. And right, I think I think the fact that he's on that cross, that we see Jesus on that cross, we are constantly reminded of what Jesus did for us that one and only time, where he gave his life for every one of us, so that we would have an opportunity to be with him in heaven for eternity. So, and that's what that crucifix does. So for us, it's going to be Jesus died for us, whereas a Protestant, it's going to be. Just the cross. I think that, you know, in a Protestant church, if you have an empty cross, the concept there is Jesus is risen. He's off the right. cross. Yeah. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that imagery. No. However, it's so important to us as Catholics to remember specifically what Christ did. I mean, you know, you go to a football game and you see what's the, the scripture verse. You always see on a poster that someone's holding up behind the announcers or whatever. It's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And that's all about what Jesus did, that Jesus died for us. That, That was his purpose on earth. And we're constantly reminded of that when we look at the crucifix. The crucifix is the crucifix is our John 3.16. It's our reminder of that, that salvific effort, you know, and that, that God loves us. And we talked about time, too, last time in a little different context. But, you know, again, it's a timeless thing. When we're at Mass, you know, we're back, not back, but we're brought present with with Christ on the cross. That's right. Jesus died for us one time, one One time time only. We don't re-sacrifice Jesus. Right. So when we look at that crucifix, we realize what he did that one time. However, in a world where there is no time, right, Jesus died for us, he is dying for us, and he will die for us. It's something that's in constant motion at the same, all at the same time. Hard to get your hands around. Very much so. But at the same time, there goes that word time again, you know, it's important for us to understand that Jesus died for us. And that's how we remember it so well. Okay. So we, we, we see the crucifix on the wall, and, you know, someone might look at that crucifix and say, yes, but... Scripture specifically tells us that we shouldn't have pictures of God. We shouldn't have images of God. That we shouldn't have a, a representation of Jesus on the cross. That that violates that that what they would call the second commandment. Thou shalt have no graven images. You know, and so we want to look closer at that. We want to go to Deuteronomy. We want to we want to read and find out specifically what's going on here. Um, I once had the wonderful opportunity of going to a Bible study for, uh, with some Church of Christ friends that I had, invited me over to talk about what Catholics believe and teach. 
And I said, well, what questions do you have? And one of the first questions that I got from them was, why do you have pictures of God and images of God when they're strictly forbidden in the Bible? It seemed so obvious and apparent to them. But once I took a little time to explain the scripture to them, from my perspective, from a Catholic perspective, they might not have agreed with my interpretation or the church's interpretation, but their eyes were opened a little bit and they, and they started to respond, well, okay, I can see where you might get that. Well, let's look at the scriptures that we were talking about. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. This is part of the Catholic's first commandment, right? But uh, for Protestants, this would be the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself a graven image, okay? Or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above. Okay, so here we are, right off the bat, we look at that and, okay, okay, we can't have a graven image or any likeness of that is in heaven above, so we can't make pictures of God, right? Right. Well, let's keep reading. Let's read all of that particular commandment. It says, uh, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Okay, so let's unpack that just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay you can't make any images of anything above and below in the seas. You can't have pictures of birds. You can't have pictures of fish. You can't have pictures of anything. Okay. Right? If you look at that literally and you stop there, if you stop and put a period there, however, there's not a period. There's a comma, and there's more to the story. And what God says, you can't make any of these images and bow down and worship them. Right. That's the key. Okay, so scripture is not preventing us from making any kind of imagery of, you know, of Jesus, of God, of angels, of holy persons. It's not preventing us from doing that. What it's asking us not to do and forbidding us to do is worshiping those items. That's all about idolatry. So that's what that particular commandment is really all about, is about idolatry. And, of course, we've pointed out that Catholics do not believe in idolatry. Right. Right? We forbid it and condemn it. So the honest truth is if you look at the second commandment for the Protestants, the first commandment for the the Catholics is you understand that there's just one God. We're to worship that God alone. No one else, no thing else, right? And that if we're going to have images, they're fine. You just can't bow down and worship those images. And yes, idolatry was rampant way back then. It was not unheard of to have a golden calf or some other object that was worshipped as a god would be worshipped. But you know what? It's not just about statues and images. It's about anything that we put above God. It could be money. It could be money. It could be power. It could be sex. It could be food. It could be anything that we give worship to. Put before God. That's a problem. So this is all wonderful stuff, and we've got much more to talk about in terms of what Catholics believe about statues and holy images. And we're going to talk more about that. But first, I wanted to remind people that we do have a wonderful website to visit. Tom, it is wonderful. Where's the website? Wonderful. It is at www.thecatholiccafe.com. Thank you very much, Tom. Operative word is the. That's exactly what I want to say, thecatholiccafe.com. Uh, Bill, have you been to the website? Yes, I have. And what do, you, what do you do there, Bill? I uh, download the talks and put them on my iPod and listen to them. 
Well, there you go. Now, we're not uh, uh, asking everyone to go out and buy an iPod because we don't get any money from Apple. But we do tell you that <laughs> if, you have these, if you have these, uh, <laughs> these uh, portable listening devices, you can put these shows on there while you're working out. You know, while you're running, jogging, whatever, just watch out for the the bus. You don't want to get hit while you're <laughs> That's running. That's exactly right, because some of these shows can be very engrossing. But anyway, all that aside, <laughs> go and spend sp- go and spend some time on the website. Um, also, uh, I'd love you to email me at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe dot com. So this is a statuesque topic, and uh, we've got more to cover on this when we come right back. Cram shot. I'm Bestrzemski. And this is another great moment in church history. The heresy of iconoclasm came to the forefront in the early 8th century and lasted well into the 9th century. The iconoclast, whose name means image breakers, rejected the use of images of God or humans, but especially those of Christ, Mary, the saints, and holy events. These images had become commonplace in churches and homes throughout the universal church over the centuries, with paintings, drawings, sculptures, and other images dating to the earliest days of the Christian church. The iconoclast felt that to venerate these images was tantamount to idolatry, and their influence was causing a rift within the church. A council was called in the late 8th century, which addressed the issues of icons and sacred images in particular, but in a more general sense, the very nature of the worship of God. The Second Council of Nicaea in 787 AD was the seventh ecumenical council of the church and spoke with the full weight of the magisterium, the teaching authority of the Roman Catholic Church. There was much discussion and prayer by the bishops attending the universal gathering. They took into account not only the promptings of the Holy Spirit, but also the works of many great Catholic theologians of the day. The writings of St. John of Damascus are said to have had a profound influence on the Council Fathers. About the subject of sacred art, he said, If a pagan asks you to show him your faith, take him into a church and place him before the icons. The Second Council of Nicaea dogmatically decreed that the Church's inspired tradition of the veneration of sacred images be upheld. The Council proclaimed, We define that the holy icons, whether in color, mosaic, or some other material, should be exhibited in the holy churches of God, on the sacred vessels and liturgical vestments, on the walls, furnishings, and in the houses along the roads, namely the icons of our Lord God and Savior, Jesus Christ, that of Our Lady, Theotokos, those of the venerated angels, and those of all the saintly people. Whenever these representations are contemplated, they will cause those who look at them to commemorate and love their prototype. Still today, the Catholic Church continues the centuries-old tradition of the use and benefit of sacred images of all kinds. The dogmatic decrees of the Second Council of Nicaea and many subsequent ecumenical councils to follow on the proper veneration of these images served as a spiritual anchor of inspiration to sacred tradition and the divine revelation of God. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. So we're back here in the luxurious corner booth at the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, and Tom is sitting by my side. Faithfully. You're always here, Tom. That's wonderful. I got your back. 
I appreciate that. You know, Deacon Jeff, we have not been gentlemanly at all to our guest. Above average Catholic, Bill? Yeah. Eileen made it quite apparent to me a minute ago that she wanted to uh, make sure everybody knows that she's hustling to get you whatever you need there, Bill. Okay. You need another pecan pie? I do need another pecan pie. You like that stuff, I really like that. Well, we don't want to make food some kind of idolatrous item, right? We we, we know that's bad. The Segway King. Yes, there we go. So in speaking (laughs) of idolatry, um, we were just talking about God's supposed prohibition of any imagery Mm -hmm. uh, in the Ten Commandments. Um, and how that actually is to be interpreted and understood as imagery that we that would then bow down and worship to. And we know that to be true because, you know, if God forbade any kind of imagery of angels and any kind of imagery to be used in holy work or in, in the process of worship, if he forbade that, mm-hmm. then how do you reconcile that with a couple of Bible passages, which not too far later than that, in Exodus chapter 25, God commands that images of angels should decorate the Ark of the Covenant. He says, And you shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on the one end and one cherub on the other. So he's commanding us to make images of angels on an object which is going to be his resting place here on earth. And it's like, you Contradiction. know, yeah, it kind of seems like strange that if he said no images, and now we have images of angels being used. Doesn't mention anything about uh, bowing down, though, does it, Bill? Nope, didn't say that. That's right. And now at the same time, you have uh, Moses. You remember the uh, Moses instructed to make a bronze serpent, mm-hmm. the image of a serpent to put on the end of a pole, again, to be used by God for a very specific purpose. But if he was saying no imagery, no statues, no graven images, then that wouldn't. That, that seems kind of like it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Very good. And there are many, many <laughs> other examples when Solomon builds, you know, the house for the uh, for the Ark of the Covenant. Well, it's all kinds of angels and cherubim and whatnot decorating the walls, and it's all through Scripture in the Old Testament where we see those images being used constantly. Mm-hmm. So obviously, it's not the images themselves it's our bowing down to those images that creates the problem it's just you you have to get the big picture and you have to listen to others that have studied and you know the church to help us understand this Mm -hmm. well let's talk about the church let's talk about more recent times you know let's talk about let's at least let's move up to the new testament and and try to get a handle on what we're going to do with this concept of idolatry and graven images God is an invisible spirit, right? God mm-hmm. is not visible. Now, he manifests, you know, and we talked about, we've talked about God being fire, and, and we see those kinds, of, those kinds of images. However, God's true nature, his essence, is not something that you can picture. You know, you can't draw a picture of that. However, we do know that a single cataclysmic event happened that we celebrate every Christmas in which God did take on flesh Mm -hmm. so that he could then be visualized. Mm -hmm. If we look at John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth, we have beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. So God essentially became flesh. That's where we get the word incarnation, incarnate, uh, to become flesh. Mm -hmm. So now... You know, the church understands that now that we have sort of a new economy of images that we can use, because we can have pictures of Jesus because he revealed himself to us as a man. 
So we can certainly have pictures of Jesus. And again, take us back to that image of Jesus on the cross and what he did for us on that cross. That's why it's perfectly fine to have a a crucifix hanging on the wall to remind us of that particular act. Now, in terms of why we would have statues, what possible purpose can they nowadays? You know, most people are educated. Most people can read. They're not necessarily there for educational purpose. So what possible purpose can we have for a statue now? Anybody got any? Anybody, I don't see any hands going up. Well, the Toms are full of donuts, so he can't. Well, I'll take a crack at it, and then Tom, Please, you can. Thank All you, right, Bill. Above, above average Catholic Bill is going <laughs> thank to. Thank you. I, for me, it just it really helps, you know, know that we're, again, in the presence of God. And if it's, you know, a statue of Jesus or it's a crucifix, then it, it just helps us you know, realize that and realize, you know, we're in his presence. Well, what about what about a statue of Mary? I was getting there. Oh, thank you. I just jumped the gun. No, I, I was thinking, I grew up in um, Wadsworth, Illinois, and the church I went to was St. Patrick, and there's a beautiful statue of St. Patrick. And But again, we're all connected uh, in the body of Christ, um, and again, realizing, you know, the things he did in his life and... You know, we're, we're still connected to him. You know, we can ask him to pray with us and for us. You know, if, if, if you've had a loved one in your family pass away, you want to remember that person. Let's say it's mom. You know, mom has died. Uh, if my mother's listening, mother, I know you haven't died. <laughs> you know, but mom has passed away. You loved her. She loved you. And you want to be, you want to bask in that love. You don't ever want to lose that love. You want to keep that feeling fresh all the time for the rest of your life, right? So you've got a mantle. Right, And so mm-hmm. frequently you'll put a picture of mom on that mantle. And you know what? No one would call you crazy if every once in a while you kind of kiss that picture to say, Mom, I love you. You know, There's nothing wrong with that. Right. You know, and that's exactly what we're doing with these statues. These are representations. And, and, and the, the prayers, our offerings, our, our musings, our remembrances, all of those things pass through that image and they go toward what the old church called the prototype, the first type. In other words, the actual person. So if we have a picture of St. Patrick and, and you're looking at that wonderful statue and you're going to say a prayer, one of St. Patrick's great prayers that he was known for, and you're going to offer a prayer on behalf of somebody uh, and you're doing it in front of that statue of St. Patrick, well, you're not praying to that statue. right? You're actually asking to pray with St. Patrick. And you know, St. Patrick has the ear of God. He's standing right next to God. You know, he's in heaven. St. Patrick, you know, death doesn't separate us. Romans tells us that, that we're all members of the body of Christ. And even death can't separate us from the love of God. We're all members of that body. And so I'm going to ask St. Patrick, you know, while you're standing there talking to Jesus, say a good word for me. Sounds like a future topic of discussion there. Absolutely. The communion of saints is a wonderful. Yeah, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful topic. I, yeah. I think, too, of so many Catholic churches, you know, just have beautiful um, crucifixes. And it just it seems like as you're going up to receive Holy Communion, you know, that image is, is there so present. And it, um, you know, it just it, it touches you. You know, it just it helps you. Well, realize that you know you're receiving the body of Christ. Right. As a as a deacon, I'm I'm blessed to be an ordinary minister of Holy Communion. So I I distribute communion quite often when I'm at Mass. And I have to admit, there are a lot of people that I 
I, I give them communion and their eyes are fixed on the crucifix. You know, hmm. And so the, what they're doing is they're making that act of Jesus, that very act that gave us that Eucharist, they're making that more real. They're, they're feeling it just by having yep. that image of Jesus on that cross. Yeah. So that's what we're doing. We're not worshiping the cross. No. But we are reverencing the cross. We are honoring the cross and what Jesus did on that cross. Question. Yes. What about veneration? What about when you venerate the crucifix? Again, what we're doing is just like a picture of a mother is kissed by her loving son, mm-hmm. we kiss the cross in remembrance of what Jesus did for us on that cross. Okay. And so we're not we're not viewing these as items of worship. Worship belongs only to God. We venerate. Venerate is a different word than worship. Now, of course, this also was something that was quite common uh, in the early church. The discussion of this topic was quite common. And there are many early church fathers that wrote about this concept and how Catholics believe this even today. In fact, uh, as we read, uh, St. Basil the Great in 375 AD said, The honor paid to the image passes on to the prototype. Again, what he's saying is, it's not the statue, it's the person right. beyond the statue. The, 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 the statue is merely a remembrance, an image of that, of that person. It's not the person. I didn't know he said that. And then uh, St. John of Damascus said, uh, this is in 725 A.D., he said, We would certainly be in error if we were making an image of the invisible God. For what is incorporeal and invisible and uncircumscribable and without defines figure is not able to be depicted. And again, if we were making images of men and thought them gods and adored them as gods, certainly we would be impious. But we do not do any of these things. So that's the that's the important thing for us to understand. Is, is even then, the church had to defend this, uh, this doctrine, this mm-hmm. idea that we have these images and we can use them in our worship of God we can use these images, but that we don't bow down to these images and worship them. Well, Bill, I hope that this whole topic has been comforting, and I hope it's been an opportunity for us to learn. Uh, above Average Catholic Bill, uh, we thank you so much for joining us in the luxurious corner booth. Thank you. And we want to have you come back again soon. All we, right, please. We've got, uh, they're baking another pecan pie, and so who knows? They may... Uh, to go? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> we, we can, <laughs> All right. Yeah. Can't All get right. enough. If you can beat Tom to the uh, counter. <laughs> But we do thank you for joining us, and, and Tom, it was fun. Uh, and I, I love the opportunity to, to come together and just talk about what Catholics uh, believe and what Catholics teach uh, so that we can, uh, we can pass on the truth and people can realize, hey, it's not so bad after all, is there you, it? That's right. So let's do this now. Let's uh, close as we always do in prayer. Heavenly Father, you sent us Jesus, the very image of the invisible God. Help us to see him more clearly. Give us all that we need to follow him so that we might come to be with you in heaven. We ask you to grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table. <laughs>